I began my sermon yesterday with a quote from C.S. Lewis. So I want to begin today's with a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, at least in the movie, I haven't actually verified this to see if it's actually in the book. Um, Bilbo says in his uh, farewell speech uh, that it is no bad thing to celebrate a simple life. And I think this is a fundamentally Christian understanding. And it comes to us in part from what we are celebrating today. If you look at most mythologies, and, and here I'm, I have to clarify, I'm, I'm mostly referring, I guess, to Middle Eastern mythologies, uh, which I, are the ones that I know better. Uh, but most of them tend to uh, focus on really big picture things, kings and gods and gods who interact with, uh, with, with occasionally with particularly beautiful commoners. Because uh, one of the things I mentioned last, last Sunday is that, that this, this understanding of the incarnation, this, this story about a god, a god coming into the world as one of us, isn't unique to Christianity. You find it in various other mythologies. But there are some key differences. And the first one that I mentioned yesterday, which uh, is if you hook this into the Jewish understanding, that tradition that comes through the children of Abraham, the very first thing that you have there is a sense of it being anchored in history. The Jews always understood God, the God, the creator God, as coming down and interfering in the lives of men, very much like the pagans around them. They're with one really important difference. With most of the other mythologies, the pagan gods kind of just did whatever the heck they felt like. They, they, they were capricious. Uh, if Zeus happened to see, oh, wow, she looks really nice, Zeus would go and get her. Uh, um, this is not what we find with the Hebrew understanding of God, of the creator God. Rather, what we find is that God does, creates the universe and then he doesn't leave it alone. He continues to come down and involve himself in human affairs, but always for our good. The other thing I mentioned is that the, the God whom the Hebrews worshipped, besides being the one true creator God, was also a consistent God. He was one who you could count on being the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that when he reintroduces himself to Moses, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he re references himself, he refers to himself as the eternal I am. He is the unchanging God. And one of the key things that doesn't change in God's dispensation, in our understanding of how God works, is this, understand, is this gift of free will that he gives to us. He gives us this gift of free will uh, right from the beginning, no matter what the consequences. And the consequences have been pretty horrible because we misuse this gift royally, terribly. And yet, that same gift is precisely what God works through 
after having worked with his people Israel to, the, to bring it to the culmination, if you will, uh, in this young girl, Mary, who is celebrated not because she's so beautiful, although I have no doubt that she was, uh, but because she is good, chosen because of her character, because when God comes to her, or sends the angel to her to announce to her that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah, she, knowing all of the implications that that involves for her, knowing all of the damage to her reputation it will cause from everybody who doesn't believe uh, her when she says that this child is in her womb is from the Holy Spirit, she says, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, may it be to me as you have said. And that's kind of the summary of what, what we talked about yesterday. Two things that I want to sort of add to this. So we have here uh, sort of building on the way that God, our God, the consistent creator God, involves himself in human affairs for our good, respecting the gift of free will, has all these implications for us. But one of the implications it has is that these things that are humble and ordinary become something beautiful, meaningful, become, in fact, the very means by which God saves the entire world. What is more humble, more vulnerable than a pregnant mother? What is less valued in our society, if we're honest? How often do you see, you know, the heroines of our, the movie heroines of our day, uh, you know, vulnerable and in, no, no, they're, they're, they're out beating people up with the guys. It's, this is what we celebrate now. But that's not how God worked. He didn't work as Mary herself notes in her great prayer, the Magnificat. He did not work through those of high degree. He did not work through power. He worked through becoming one of us. He himself, the great creator God, became one of us not as he could have become. He could have become fully formed as a human being with great power and strength and majesty and might. And he could have easily just conquered all his enemies. That's not how he came. He chose to come as a helpless baby beginning right where we begin. And that has huge implications for us, not least of which is, well, what do we do with our lives? Because one of the things that we are always told, you can do anything you want. You can be anything you want. All you have to do is dream big. And, you know, hate to break it to you, it's not true. 
There is some truth in it, but really, for most of us, unless we get really lucky or maybe just blessed by God, most of us are just going to be working at whatever job we can find for most of our lives. And then, you know, we'll hopefully retire. I'm not sure if we'll ever actually be able to retire in this economic climate, but hopefully we'll be able to retire. And most people will then forget about us. And that's it. And that could be very depressing if you want to be immortal on some on some sort of grand level and have everybody remember you and be you know have this huge impact on the world. But what? How did God work out our salvation? How did He begin to bring it about? He began with Mary, who in the icon here you can see she has a, a distaff. She's spinning thread. This is not world-changing stuff, people. You get a bunch of threads together and you might be able to like weave a cloak. That's about it. And you know, the cloak will be gone after, you know. know, Nowadays we go to Walmart and get a bunch of t-shirts for like 10 bucks, 15 maybe now, but uh, you know, nobody values this. And yet this is hugely important. My wife right now is not here because she is engaged in the very humble but also absolutely essential work of looking after our sick children. This is not something we celebrate. And yet it is absolutely fundamentally important to what it means to be human beings. And God has revealed that by this involvement in the humble weak, vulnerable parts of our life, uncelebrated parts of our life. The other thing that I wanted to sort of add here, this of course is actually, this, is, this first one is, is ancient. Uh, all you have to do is is read St. Athanasius' is on the Incarnation, um, kind of cribbing modern version of that. In, in St. Athanasius' Incarnation, he, he talks about what happens when a king comes to a city. You know, the city might be completely unknown un- up until that point, but when the king comes, everybody's like, oh, wow, the king's there. And it's, if the king makes his home there, it's like, whoa, this is... So, you know, that it's, it's, we, are, we, we still, I think, understand that, that. That, that basic principle, that God coming in and involving himself in this basic, fundamental, simple things of human life actually gives them meaning and purpose and an honor that they didn't have. That we didn't, they probably had before, but we didn't recognize it before. The other thing I want, that kind of struck me that I wanted to add here is, I guess, kind of another lie. Uh, the, the, the hymnography for uh, um, the Annunciation talks about Mary's response to the angel and, as is usual in Byzantine hymnography, kind of expands on it a little. And besides saying, you know, how can this be? I shall not know of man, a man that says, I have not known pleasure. 
which I think is actually really interesting and important because the basic message of our society is our reason for existence is to experience as much pleasure as possible. And, you know, that's really what we should be, what we should be pursuing. I mean, even in, it's slightly different, but even in the American, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, uh, that, that it's kind of embedded even in that. And yet, I somehow don't think that Mary, having given up this pleasure, and being ever virgin, that her life or exists, her existence was any less fulfilling or meaningful than anyone else's. I mean, how could, how could it not be the most fulfilling and meaningful existence to be the mother of the incarnate God, the word of God? Who, what can compare to that? And again, if we take this um, kind of uh, meaningful transformation of our mundane existence, the elevation of it that God gives it as he involves himself in it, in this day-to-day -day existence of ours, which is what we understand, to be clear. We understand that God is at work in all things for our good. Not just those times when, you know, he intervenes in, in some sort of really spectacular, miraculous way. No, no, we understand him as not only the creator of all things, but the sustainer of all things. He is at work in all things for our good, for the, all, the good of all who love him and are the called according to his purpose. He is involved in every moment, every mundane aspect of our existence. And so, what is there left that should be kind of boring or looked down upon? Everything is infused with divine presence and meaning if only we have eyes to see it. And so, the uh, Mary and St. John Climacus, whom we are also celebrating today, uh, are amazing examples of people who have dedicated their lives, their whole being, their sexuality to God as we are all called to do in whatever way God calls us to do it. It might be something unique, something that, we, that, that, is, that is unusual, or at least in the world's eyes. It might not fit into a nice, neat category. But as long as it fits into the way that God has taught us to live, God himself will be at work in that. He will be at work in whatever element of our life we give him. Not only for our salvation, but for the salvation of all of those around us. As St. Sarah Musrov famously said, all we need to do is acquire the Holy Spirit and thousands around us will be saved. Why is this? It's because God 
has come into our midst. That's what we say. It's our kind of secret code word handshake, right? Christ is in our midst. And the response is, he is and shall be. Because this is our experience. That God himself has come down and has involved himself in our affairs in the most humble, the most basically grounded way possible. That he might reveal to us that all of his creation was made good, is good, if we simply redeem it by giving thanks to him, by seeking him in it, and by glorifying him in all things. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages.